This is 1988 Tops, where every card has a story to tell. Your hosts are David McKellis and Matt Kuzma. Let's play ball. Welcome back to 1988 Tops. David, what's our card for this week? Our card this week is Don Ossie, card number 467, pitcher for the Baltimore Orioles. Okay, Don Ossie, I have no idea who this is, so I'm very excited about it. And why are we talking about Don today? I don't remember. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Maybe it's because his name is first alphabetically in the set. It's a fun name. It's a fun picture on the card. He's got a big smile and grin and a big mustache. And I think because we are peek behind the curtain here recording episodes back to back, I was looking for somebody with a Sabre bio. We got help from research assistant Curtis, helpful in adding some notes here. And for referring to Don as the Aussie of Bossy. <laughs> A thing that won't get out of my head as I was looking at at this card. I was just thinking the Aussie of Bossy. His Sabre bio is written by Bill Nowlin, author of approximately 10,000 Sabre bios. We owe a debt of gratitude to Bill and the Sabre community for their hard work on this. Well, I've seen the sign, David, and it opened up my eyes. And it's time to go to the front of card 467 with Don Aussie. This is a fun picture. Don's got a great smile. He looks very much like one of uh, my uncle's in-law. He's got the poofy hair coming out of the hat. He's got the mustache that is extra long, going over the lip, going over the teeth. It's a wily mustache. This is a good look with the Orioles hat. I've been wearing this Orioles hat around. Mm -hmm. Because we're recording a little bit early, I shouldn't say too much because I fear that by the time this episode comes out, the Orioles may no longer be playing in the playoffs. But I've been getting a lot of compliments for wearing this Orioles hat from secret Marylanders who are living in the Chicagoland area, who coming out of the woodwork when their team wins 100 games, giving me high fives on the street. It's a good feeling, but I also forgot what hat I was wearing and was very confused when people started yelling at me. Don Ossie's hair looks very poofy. In earlier pictures, he has straight long hair maybe after being on the same team as don sutton i think they were on the same team oh no maybe don sutton came later maybe he inspired don sutton to get that perm but this is one of the most fun pictures this is like definitely like the biggest smile i think we had spanky smiling a little bit in his picture in that posed picture on the grass but this is the this is the biggest smile i think we've seen very good smile Good uniform, good smile, 10-point mustache. Great card. Let's go to the back of 467. We have Don Ossie, pitcher, height 6'3", 220, right-handed thrower and batter, drafted by the Red Sox in the sixth round of 1972. Born September 8th, 1954 in Orange, California, with a home in Yorba Linda, California. Aside from the big mustache and great hair, Don's name also jumped out at me when I would look at this card. Probably as a eight-year-old just thinking it was a fun name. No, it's as, as close to a curse word as you can get for a last name. How would you have pronounced this name reading it off of a baseball card in 1988? If you just saw um, it without hearing me say that. I probably, like you, at that age, I would have just 
taken the liberty to say, oh, hey, dad, this guy's last name is Ass. I think I would have assumed that that wasn't his last name, but I would have said probably Ossie. No, Ossie? Don Ossie? I probably would have said Don Ossie. No, that's that's the right pronunciation. I think I've said it too many times. I think I probably would have said Ossie. Yeah, no, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have said it that way. No, no uh, way. Ase? Maybe Ase. Maybe Ase. Maybe Ase. Or it Ace. Is a, it's a, I could have just Ace? been Yeah, Don Ace. Ace. Don Ace. Ace. Yeah, Don Ace. Don Ase. But not Ase. As we talked about last week with Jay Baller, not Baller, it's a very strange combination of vowels. Can you think of something that rhymes with Ase? The closest I can get is Yahtzee. Yahtzee, okay, yeah, that's good. I would think of Bob Fosse. See, it's very close to Ron Hassey, but it's not quite. Also, my family would pronounce the Polish sausage kielbasa as kobasi. That was kind of the particular ethnic mix of my household. That's kind of how that word came out. So when you said Ossi, I was like, kind of rhymes like kobasi, and it made me hungry. Which is a thing that only you would think of. Because the rest of us think of kielbasa or just Polish sausage. This is a Norwegian last name. As Don's mm. father was Norwegian. Uh, when I looked it up to find the background of it, if used as a first name, this is a Danish first name, according to the bump, meaning tree-covered mountain, but pronounced Asa. But according to Ancestry.com, the name is Norwegian and Swedish. So Asa of Basse is, it could work. It is a topographic last name, meaning Ridge. It also is the name of the main character's mother in Henrik Ibsen's play Pure Gint from 1867, a play I never read. I think I read A Doll's House. That was the assigned reading. Pure Gint was not. This is a last name shared with a bunch of Norwegian footballers, Daniel, Gunnar, Peter, Steiner, and Torstein, a race car driver, Dennis Ossie, uh, University of Chicago-educated botanist Hannah, who has an onion native to Idaho named after her, Ossie's onion, and an asteroid, 864 Ossie, which is named for the Ibsen character. Don is the first name in the 1988 top set alphabetically, but in baseball reference, he's listed fourth after David Ardsma, Henry, and Tommy Aaron. He was born in Orange, California, the city of, not just the county, but the city of, which is in the county. And Orange is right next to Anaheim. So Don grew up just a few miles from Angel Stadium. Orange was founded in 1869 and incorporated in 1888. And Orange County was incorporated the next year. The city was built around a plaza, which was unique for cities in the area that were developing around that time. And it, is, it was known as the Plaza City. The city has an old town district. Unlike a lot of Southern California, the houses that were built before 1920 weren't knocked down and rebuilt. So this is unique that it has this old town district. And in 1950, the city had only 10,000 people. Don was born in 1954. By 1960, it had grown to 26,000. Now it's up close to 140,000 people. So legitimately big city. Don's parents divorced when he was in grade school, and his mother Catherine remarried a guy named Joe who worked for an electronics company, and Don grew up rooting for the Giants while most of his classmates were Dodgers fans, and he went to Savannah High School in Anaheim. Famous alumni from Savannah High School include a bunch of baseball names, Marty Castillo, Glenn, and Trevor Hoffman. Glenn Hoffman is in the set, I believe. Al Rabowski, the mad Hungarian. 
Greg Matthews, and Rick Owenby. Also, Alan Schellenberger, who's the drummer for Lit. Matt, I was suggesting earlier that along with Ace of Bass having some good karaoke jams, Lit, My Own Worst Enemy, that's a good karaoke jam. I bet that gets people, people going. I am positive I have heard my brother sing that song in his karaoke hosting. I'm sure he could do a good job of that. Mm-hmm. But maybe the most famous, aside from the drummer for Lit, most famous Savannah High School graduate is Steven Hillenberg, who was a marine science educator and then went on to work in the cartoon industry and created SpongeBob SquarePants. Unfortunately, Steven passed away in 2018 after suffering from ALS. So in high school, Don was a big guy, 6'3", 190, and he was a local all-star. And that's a big deal, being a local all-star in Orange County. A lot of good players coming out of that area. Went 13-2 and in his senior season and was noticed by some scouts. Yeah, he was picked in the sixth round of the 1972 draft by the Red Sox. Joe Stevenson was the scout. He had played at Michigan State and briefly in the majors for the Cubs, White Sox, and Giants, along with 10 seasons in the minors ending up in the Red Sox system. He settled in Southern California and scouted for the Red Sox. His son Jerry would go on to pitch for the Red Sox, and Joe also signed Rick Burleson, Dwight Evans, Bill Lee, and Fred Lynn. Joe scouted for the Sox until 2001 when he passed away. Now Don's baseball reference says that he went to school at Cal State Fullerton, which he did, but only in the offseason. He never played there. He signed for the Red Sox straight out of high school, so he never played college ball. No one else in the sixth round of this draft did much in the majors. In the seventh round, the the Pirates picked Willie Randolph, and he did do much in the majors. The biggest steal of the draft was probably either Mike Hargrove in the 25th round. He would win Rookie of the Year in 1974, or Lyman Bostock, who was picked in the 26th round. Bostock was a career 311 hitter in four seasons but was murdered while playing for the Angels at age 27, and Don Ossie was his teammate. So Don signs out of high school, and his minor league career could not have gotten off to a worse start. With the low-A Williamsport Red Sox, he made 12 starts, and he went 0-10. Zero wins. This team was 22-47, but just remarkably bad luck. His ERA, we've seen way worse than a 5.8 ERA, but still not great, and he had a crisis of confidence where he didn't know if he would be able to stick around pro ball, and he thought now having signed, he couldn't go back and play college ball because he was already a professional, and he thought about maybe quitting, but instead he regrouped, went to instructional league, and learned to pitch. He said in high school, he had just been able to throw hard, stay in the strike zone, and he could win. In instructional league, he learned a curveball, smoothed out his delivery, got his confidence back, and headed to Winter Haven the next year, where he was pretty good. Yeah, he won 12 games, which led the team. Funny how learning how to pitch can make you a better pitcher. He had a big improvement, a 3.60 ERA, walking fewer batters and striking out more, so that's good. He also lost 15 games, which was a league high, but he's still 18 years old at this at this point, and luckily you know, people didn't give up on him. And he didn't give up on himself. He stayed in A-ball the next year at Winston-Salem and improved further and then earned a fun fact, which is that he was Carolina League's Pitcher of the Year with 17 wins and a 2.43 ERA at Winston-Salem in 1974, leading the league in both wins and ERA, striking out 176 batters 
And by now he had a curveball, slider, and a changeup to go along with that hard fastball. Since he grew up in Anaheim, he said he was always a big fan of Nolan Ryan, and his goal was to throw hard and keep the ball down. After that big season at A-ball, he jumped all the way to AAA, played for the Paw Sox in 1975, and this was a last-place team, but Don was okay. He went 8-13 and with a 3.6 ERA, so similar to what he did at A-ball, which, considering that big jump, was pretty good. And his manager, Joe Morgan, said he was the best pitcher in the International League by far and called him a super prospect. And in 1976, he changed teams, but he didn't move. If you look at his baseball reference, it says he went from Pawtucket to Rhode Island and then back to Pawtucket. But the Paw Sox just changed their name for that one season to the Rhode Island Red Sox. It just doesn't sound as good. And Don was excellent, despite that name change, to open the season. He won his first four games, including a one-hitter and two two two-hitters. But then he had some elbow soreness. The Red Sox, at this point, needed an arm, but Don's injury kept him from getting a call-up. So his season ends after only 10 games. He goes back to California, and that's where he took some classes at Cypress Community College and Cal Fullerton. Cal Fullerton does have some great baseball alumni like Tim Wallach and an impressive program with four national titles. They also have a recent Phillies first pitch thrower, Danielle Fischel, on their alumni list, and that's Topanga from Boy Meets World and baseball movie guy Kevin Costner, along with no doubt singer Gwen Stefani. Also good karaoke songs. I don't know if Don actually finished his degree but Cal State Fullerton is on his baseball reference page as he is associated with the university. This episode's got me walking in the spider webs right now, David, gotta say. So Don's arm soreness was tendonitis and ligament damage. That's what it turned out to be. But he was back by spring and felt okay. His stats with the once again Paw Sox weren't impressive. Six and six with an ERA over five in 18 games. But the Red Sox knew he had good stuff and they were still being patient with him. So he got called up in mid-July of 1977, making his debut against the Brewers. He threw a complete game, earned a 4-3 win with 11 strikeouts. And then his second start was in Anaheim, at home in front of his friends and family, and he pitched a three-hit shutout. In the ninth inning, the Red Sox scored the only run to win Don's second complete game of the week. It also put the Red Sox into a tie for first place in the AL East. Don was named AL Player of the Week in his first week of real action. That's pretty impressive. I'm not sure if we've seen that from a rookie in their first week, first call-up. He ends up making 13 starts in the middle of a pennant race. The Red Sox ended up tied with the Orioles two and a half games behind the Yankees. But Don was good, 6-2 and two with four complete games, two shutouts with a 3.12 ERA. That's a 145 ERA plus. A very good start. After the season, we have a trade. The Red Sox sent Don to his hometown team, the Angels, in exchange for a Massachusetts local, second baseman Jerry Remy. There's nothing to suggest that these players just demanded to go home and they facilitated a switch. The Sox did need a second baseman, and Remy would be an all-star in 1978, become a fan favorite, a hot dog stand owner, and broadcaster. Meanwhile, the Angels got Aussie and enough cash to sign outfielder Rick Miller. As I mentioned earlier, Don didn't always have this curly mane. In his picture with the Angels, he has some very straight hair, and so included for your enjoyment this picture of Don Ossie in his younger days some flowing locks yeah checking this out right here 
This is a very California look. This is what, 1978 Southern California? He could be a Doobie brother. This is California uncle. The the earlier picture is wife's uncle visiting Florida. This one is California uncle. A little bit of Angels history. So they were still a relatively new team at this point. We went into some Angels history in the Jim Fergosi episode. But when Major League Baseball announced that it would expand to L.A., cowboy actor, musician, singer, composer, rodeo performer Gene Autry initially presented MLB executives a proposal to broadcast for the new team. That's all he wanted was to win the broadcast rights. The owners and executives were so impressed that instead they recruited him to own the team, which he did until he sold a portion to the Disney Corporation in the 90s, and then the rest of the team's ownership was transferred upon his death in 1998. When the Angels won the World Series in 2002, Tim Salmon held Gene Autry's cowboy hat on the field and back in the saddle again played over the PA in tribute to Gene Autry, the man who helped build the California Angels. Was that the the Aerosmith version? I don't I don't know the. Is there I, another version? Is there a Gene Autry version of that? Is that I believe song? he is the man who made it famous. I don't know if he wrote the song. I'm more familiar with the. Uh, it's it's Aerosmith, right? Am I thinking? Back in the Saddle is by Aerosmith. Back in the Saddle again. I'm back in the saddle again. Out where a friend is a friend. Where the longhorn cattle feed on the lowly gypsum wheat. Back in the saddle again. I'm, I assume it's a prequel. As we discussed in the Kirk McCaskill episode, the Angels do have a fight song, which talks about the California Angels being a okay. You don't want to make too many big promises with a relatively new team. Even by the late 70s, when Don was getting there, they still had never made the playoffs. They weren't that great of a team. And Don was supposed to step in as the fourth starter. And he was 11-8 and eight in 1978. He had a 4.03 ERA. He wasn't quite as good as he had been with the Red Sox. A step back, but still okay. And then in 1979, Don is on the first Angels team to make the postseason. He started 28 games and also came out of the bullpen nine times. His record was 9-10 with a 4.81 ERA. In the playoffs, the Jim Fergosi-led Angels faced the Orioles, and Don pitched a scoreless ninth inning in a Game 2 loss. And then in Game 3, he pitched the final four innings. He came in with men on base up 2-1. to one. He allowed a run to score, so the game's tied. But then in the seventh, he gave up a triple and a single to go down 3-2. to two. The Angels come back to win with two runs in the bottom of the ninth, as we discussed in the Denny Martinez episode, after Denny was pulled, Don gets the win in relief. This is the first Angels postseason victory, and while the Orioles would go on to the World Series to lose to the Pirates, Ossie would never again pitch in the postseason, but he does have on his resume that first postseason victory in Angels history. Yeah, a good, okay performance, which is what the fight song was asking for. So it sounds like he read the assignment. 1980 was a transition year for Don. He started 21 games and made 19 relief appearances. So he's starting that move to the bullpen. As a starter, he was 5-13 and with an ERA near 5. That made that switch all the easier. 
felt like a demotion for him, but he was great in relief. He was 3-0 and with a 2.08 ERA and 52 innings. And after that 1980 season, he never started another game. He wasn't sure why he struggled as a starter. He said maybe he thought too much or tried to pace himself. But as a reliever, he had more opportunity to work on his mechanics and the adrenaline of just coming into the game for a, a short number of innings really helped his fastball. In 1981, he kept that going, appearing in 39 games, 32 of them as a closer, going 4-4 four and four with 11 saves and a 2.34 ERA, which is a 156 ERA plus, 11 saves, which was sixth in the American League. How the times have changed. 11 saves is sixth in the American League. Sixth in the league. At this point, Don accepted his role. He was good at it. And Gene Mock took over for Fergosi in the middle of the strike-shortened season as manager. Going into 1982, Don had a strained muscle in his elbow, and that put him on the injured list. He was good for the most part, but the injury forced him to leave a game in July. He was at Cleveland warming up, and he threw so wildly in the bullpen that he hit a player in Cleveland's bullpen. And he still went into the game. He ends up giving up three runs and gets pulled. He said he felt a sharp pain followed by a sensation like my arm was on fire from the elbow down. Later, Mock told reporters that there comes a time when a pitcher has to take the mound with tears in his eyes and pain in his arm. This publicly calling out Don really hurt him. It hurt Don Ossie. He tried to rest, but the elbow just didn't heal. And in October, Don is vindicated when doctors tell him there's no way that he could pitch with a a ligament torn like his was. This, David, may rank as the dumbest thing a manager has said. Certainly the dumbest thing they've said to reporters in the postgame, that there comes a time when a pitcher has to take the mound with tears in his eyes and pain in his arm. It was a different time. And it was also early in Tommy John surgery. So Gene Mock gets fired after the 1982 season, partially for over and misusing his pitchers. And Don ends up getting Tommy John surgery, has the ligament in his arm reconstructed with the ulnar nerve that's transferred and a tendon from his left wrist used to replace the ligament in his elbow. At this point, he may have been the fifth or sixth Tommy John surgery patient. He ends up out almost two years after that July game. He doesn't come back until June of 1984. So he spends all of 1983 rehabbing. At first, he's only allowed to throw the ball 30 feet. He wanted to come back at the start of 1984, but it took him a little bit longer. Threw a little bit at A ball, and he was back in June of 1984. And in 23 games, he was outstanding. 39 innings, had a 1.62 ERA, 4-1 and one with 8 saves. 1985, though, the music changes, which is Don's a free agent. He was hoping to stay in California. But then the Angels rehired Gene Mock, and so pretty good sign that he's not going to be welcomed back, or at least wouldn't want to come back. A bunch of teams were interested, and the Orioles offered him a four-year, $2.4 million deal. They had also signed Fred Lynn and Lee Lacey in the offseason in an attempt to rebuild two years after their 1983 triumph. But unfortunately, the Orioles would finish just barely over 500. Ossie blew a save on opening day, had an ERA over seven in mid-June. Manager Joe Altabelli was fired and Earl Weaver came in. Earl took Don aside and said, throw your stats away. You're my number one reliever. 
And after that, Don turns things around. The rest of the season, he has a 2.25 ERA, holds opponents to a 211 batting average. For the season, he had a 10 and 6 record with 14 saves. 14 saves was enough for 10th in the American League. And in 1986, with Earl Weaver still in his corner, Don had his best season as a closer. Yeah, he appeared in 66 games, finishing 58 of them, recording 34 saves. That was second in the American League. Impressive considering the Orioles only won 73 games. He had a 2.98 ERA, which was a 140 ERA plus in 81 innings. He was the American League Pitcher of the Month in May, earning one win and nine saves in 13 innings that month. He had 23 saves at the All-Star break and was named to the American League All-Star team. So as a closer, Don comes into the game in the bottom of the ninth. As he's getting called in, Willie Hernandez, who was the 1984 Cy Young winner, was also warming up and thought he was getting called. So Willie Hernandez comes running, and the coach says, no, 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 bring in Ossie. Ossie comes in with one out, runner on first and third, and a 3-2 lead, and he threw two pitches. Two pitches to the Giants' Chris Brown, and he gets him to hit into a double play that ends the game. Don said, in two pitches, it was over. And I'm thinking, now what do I do? I had all this adrenaline going. It takes a long time to wind down from something like that. And when he had some time to think about it, he's in a taxi, headed back to his hotel, and he tells his wife, nobody can ever take this away from me. So just a a great feeling for Don. While it was a very good season for him, on August 28th, he also had an unfortunate day. The Orioles played a doubleheader versus Oakland, and He blew two saves in the same day with two losses. He gave up a game-winning hit to Dave Kingman in the first game of the doubleheader, then came into the second game and gave up a game-winner to Carney Lansford. Two blown saves, two losses on the same day. But all in all, it was a good year. His 34 saves set an Orioles team record, which was broken a few years later by Greg Olson. In 1987, we get to the last line on the card. Don earned a win on opening day, but after three appearances, he was out with a shoulder injury. Comes back in May, makes four appearances, and then he was shut down for the season. He needed to have shoulder surgery. So the line on the card looks all right. Seven games, 2.25 ERA, but he only pitched eight innings, and then he was shut down. He didn't make it back in time for opening day of 1988. He first appeared on May 10th. So he missed whatever the opposite of Orioles magic was. That's what happened at the beginning of 1988. They went 0-21, and their record was 4-26 when he finally did come back to the team. He was no longer the closer, and he didn't earn a single save on the season. He walked more batters than he struck out and had a whip of 1.65. Ended the season with a 0-0 record and a 4.07 ERA. And then his contract was up. He signed with the Mets as a non-roster player in 1989, playing well in spring training and making the team, appearing in 49 games, and got his control back. But the Mets didn't re-sign him in 1990. Instead, he tried with the Dodgers, the Albuquerque Dukes, the Dodgers AAA team. He did make the big league club out of spring training, pitching in 32 games with a 3-1 and record and three saves, but an ERA near five. He experienced some soreness in his rotator cuff, and that was the end. After that season, he didn't have any other offers for 1991, so he called it a career. So closing the book on Don Ossie, 66 wins and 60 losses with 22 complete games and five shutouts. He had an ERA of 3.80, which was a 104 ERA plus. 
82 saves in 448 total appearances, one all-star game appearance, and had a record in the postseason of 1-0 with one earned run in two 1979 postseason games. How about in retirement? Don spent a couple years coaching young pitchers, and then he got a call from a friend asking if he wanted to work in construction. And Don has been doing project management for commercial properties ever since. Don and his wife, Judy, live in Yorba Linda, and they have three kids, Kyle, Callie, and Kelby. All the kids have first names that start with A, but all of them go by their middle names. So all of the kids have the initials AKA. Don and Judy also have seven grandkids. Don said he doesn't really keep in touch with many of his old teammates. He did go to Fenway for the 100th anniversary of the ballpark and does some charity golf tournaments. But most of the time he works in the construction business. I did find a a quote from, I think, a website that you and I both frequent, uh, ConcreteDecor.net. Of course. Yeah, it's your number one source for concrete decor news. And this article is about polished concrete. Polished concrete wows museum goers. And it was about the concrete waterproofing and, and staining at the National History Museum of Los Angeles County. Quoted in there is Don Ossie, project manager for the Anaheim, California-based contractor who worked on it. He said, this was probably the oldest concrete we've worked on. The project they did was to cover 100-plus-year-old concrete, fill in cracks, and show the age and different styles of concrete used over the years. So if you look at the picture on this article, it's really neat. It's a very shiny, coated, waterproofed surface, and it shows the age and wear and tear that had gone on at this museum, and it's underneath some dinosaur displays. It looks pretty cool. And I also particularly enjoyed this this quote because it, it really speaks to me. Uh, Beamish used 6080-grit metal-bonded diamonds attached to the Clindex Expander 750 for the first concrete cut. Obviously, you gotta. You gotta use the Clindex, the Clindex Expander. Mm-hmm. But then the 6080 metals, they didn't cut efficiently, and so they had to change to the 1620 metal diamonds, obviously. Naturally. We all know this. You know this. I know this. Don Ossie knows this. Well, Don Ossie definitely knows it. Your source for concrete polishing and design. Well, David, we know now where Don Ossie ended up, but thinking back to when we started this, we just saw a funny guy, big smiling guy on a baseball card. But now that we've looked more into his background and his career, what do we think? He's listed first alphabetically among all Angels players, and he was the first Angel player to ever win a postseason game. His career had ups and downs from highly touted starter to a guy that Gene Mock just gave up on and publicly badmouthed to all-star closer. A couple years back, Andrew Chafin and other Cubs bullpen guys wore t-shirts that said failed starter on them, and they wore that as a badge of honor. And that's the way that we looked at relievers in the 70s and 80s. They were just guys who, who couldn't cut it, who couldn't pitch a complete game every five days. But Don had those days. He had the shutouts. He had complete games. But at some point, overuse and mechanics led to injuries. And he played at a time post-Tommy John, but before it was common. Now guys get multiple Tommy John surgeries and are able to come back and, and pitch the same as before. But at that time, it took mental strength for Don to get over what he felt was a demotion. And he worked to make himself a great relief pitcher. And sadly, that peak was 1986. And then that another injury led to a pretty steep decline. But along with that first peak, he had that great win in the playoffs. 
And then he got that save in his second peak in the All-Star game at a time when that really meant something. At the time, the American League had won the All-Star game in 1962 and then lost every game until 1971, then lost every other All-Star game until 1983. It was really National League dominance on the biggest stage on a game that people watched. And so this ultimately getting the save in this 1986 All-Star game was a big moment for Don. And it was on the biggest stage, so rightfully was a source of pride. Some big moments, big highlights to have in the memory banks when thinking back on that great career. And what's made this a fun story is that while he started out somewhat demoralized at having to become a reliever and thinking that that meant a demotion, he ended up finding some of his biggest fame and his biggest career moments as a reliever. A great card and a funny name will take you far. So thank you very much for that, David. And thank you to you at home. Don't turn around because you're going to see our hearts breaking. Just follow us instead on Instagram. We're at 1988 Tops Podcast. Thanks a lot. We'll see you next week.